0: in Jesus name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright and this is the uh video teaching series the biblical principles governing the eyes. Uh this is lesson number 7 of the series and uh we the Lord's been given some very good things for us to consider. I I feel like in this lesson we need to uh we need to go a little deeper in one particular point. In Matthew chapter 6, 23, uh, it says, uh, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. So let, let, let's ask this question. Biblically speaking, what is and evil eye. I know that term is used in all kind of settings, but what does the Bible mean when it talks about the evil eye? Well, the easiest way to to, con- to start this uh, discussion is to look up what the Greek word means uh, that's translated evil. Now, this is a pretty long definition from Strong's, and so I'm going to read most of it. But the primary and literal definition of the word is hurtful. And for example, this is what Strong says. For example, uh, evil properly in effect or influence. So an evil eye is a is an eye that is uh, in, involved in hurtful things that have an influence and also an effect on us. Strong's continues figuratively calamitous. So. From the literal definition of hurtful or evil in effect or influence uh, to the figurative definition of calamitous, that all that really is talking about the the results of an evil eye. Also passively, it means ill or diseased, and we've already seen that that's in contrast to a single eye, which is the Greek word for single eye in the same passages. The previous verse, verse 22, is a healthy eye, one that's seeing clearly. Uh, But Strong's also continues, but especially morally culpable, or i.e. derelict, vicious, uh, in the neuter, singular, it's mischief or malice, in the plural, it's guilt, in the masculine, it's the devil, in the plural, it's sinners. So... All of those, those, this word is used in all of those different ways. It's, in tra- it's translated in the King James as bad, evil, grievous, harm, uh, lewd, malicious, wicked, or wickedness. Uh, Thayer's Greek lexicon says this about the word, bad of a bad nature or condition. In a physical sense, disease or blind, in an ethical sense, evil, wicked, or bad. And again, in the context of effect or influence. So it's not the eye that is evil, it's what the eye is being used to see that has the bad effect or the, evil, the hurtful effect or the hurtful influence. So, uh, uh, Let's consider what an evil eye is. Notice, please, that in Strong's, the very detailed definition of the word translated evil, this Greek word most specifically emphasizes, and I'm saying it again, the potential evil influence of the use of the eyes, and not the eyes themselves are evil. Now, that's repetitious to what I've just said a few moments ago, but I'm going to read that again. What is an evil eye? Strong's, if we notice that in Strong's very detailed definition of the word translated evil, this Greek word most specifically emphasizes the potential evil influence of the use of the eyes and not that the eyes themselves are evil. So therefore... uh, in the context of the above verses, and according to the definition of the Greek word, Jesus is saying not, saying that it is not the eye that is evil, rather it is the unfocused, undisciplined, double visioned, or two spirited use of the eye that brings or allows an evil influence upon the inner man. Now that's quite a mouthful, but it's absolutely Practical truth. This isn't theology in in a theoretical sense. This is practical theology, some would call it. This has to do with how we live our lives every day. This has to do with how we think, how we feel, how we decide things, uh, what our priorities are, what we give our time to, uh, what our focus in life is, or what our lack, or what is the cause of our lack of focus in life. So what does all this mean? It means that the problem is not specifically what I see; it is the effect and influence upon me because of what I see that is uh, the concern here. Evil, the evil motives that my unsingle eye conjures pollutes whatever I see and renders my body full of darkness. So it's possible to see something. That in and of itself is innocent. Can I let me put it to you that way? And yet, what I'm seeing triggers or conjures up, so to speak, or brings out of what I'm my memory memories that are negative to me. So, you, you much say, "Well, it's not wrong to look at that. Whatever it is, art or." Uh, some place on the internet. or what, No, it's not wrong to do that. No, that's not wrong. But if the influence of what I'm seeing. That innocent thing. If that influence of that thing. Triggers something in me. That puts me into the feelings of temptation. Then I got a problem. I got a problem. Paul says all things are lawful to me. But not all things edify. So. Is that heaven hell issue? Well, it's not about a heaven hell issue. It's is that thing productive or unproductive for you to be in part of? Does it draw you closer to Jesus, leave you in the same spot, which is impossible, or does it move you away from Jesus? Which is it? So therefore, it's not a question of the act. It's not a question of what my, the image that's in my eye. The question is, what's it effect on me? Does it produce darkness in me? Does it produce darkness in me? This is very disturbing and should be very convicting. Now I've quoted these verses before, but guess what? We're going to talk about them here again. What is the spiritual result of becoming two-spirited, and how do we overcome in the war going on within us? Galatians 5:16 and 17. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. The word contrary there means hostility. These, th- these two things are hostile. My flesh and the Spirit of God are hostile to each other. My flesh. My flesh. Me, just to write, my flesh is hostile to the Spirit of God. That's why I need to die out to myself and to my flesh. Because that that sinful nature has to be brought under the control of the authority of God, of the Word of God, of the Spirit of God, of the blood of Jesus, of the grace of God, etc., etc., etc. Otherwise, here I am... With these, this war going on. this These hostilities taking place. And what's the result of that? I cannot do the things I would. I have become spiritually paralyzed. As I taught in the last couple of lessons, my prayer stops working. It doesn't work. When my prayer stops working, I'm going to stop praying. Now, there are some people so religious, they'll go through it, but you got to write all that stuff down. You repeat all this stuff. And we Pentecostals do the same thing. Prayer stops working, but we we we're supposed to pray, so we're we're praying a prayer that we know doesn't work. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, I love you, Jesus, or Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus. We don't we don't believe that prayer works. We're putting in time. We're doing religious things. I don't care what the words are. It's much verbiage. We believe, it's it's vain repetition. We believe that we're heard because of all of our talking. But we aren't. It's too mind. So I may pray by religious the religious definition of pray, but I'm not praying at all, and there's no answer to those prayers. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. That's the verse in the last lesson. He will not hear me. He will not hear me. He will not hear me. So how do I win? I win this war. I can't win this war. I decide to walk in the spirit. By the grace of God, he gives me direction one step at a time and I yield to those steps uh, consciously, deliberately, until they become a habit. When you first learn to walk, you you have to concentrate on every step. But the more you walk, the more you can walk because it's your habit of life. It's the way you, you motivate or mobilize uh, or, or transport yourself from one place to the other. You walk from one place to the other. A lot of steps in, involved there. Modern technology, our phones, our watches... They'll count the steps for us and tell us how many steps we took today. We didn't, I, I was never even aware how many te- steps I would take on a normal day. Whether I was sitting at the computer studying or, or someplace praying in a prolonged period of time that day. Uh, or I was going about my day listening to the Lord and praying. But going about my day, I didn't know that there were so few te- steps when I was sitting and studying or, and or praying. And so many steps when I was just moving around what I thought was the daily activity of life. It became it became easy. Walk in the spirit. If I will walk in the spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it doesn't mean my flesh's not still there. But I'm not listening to it. I'm not giving in to it. Now, again, according to 1 John chapter 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Amen, love the world, love of the Father's not in him, all that is in the world, lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Okay, so you really can't separate the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes feeds the lust of the flesh. So if I'm walking in the spirit and I'm not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, the only way I can do that, the only way I can do that is by the grace of God to have power over my eyes that I not be looking at stuff that is going to influence and strengthen my flesh and weaken my relationship with God. It's the only way. Now, for emphasis sake, we're going to read these verses from a couple of different translations. And, uh, okay, this is the essence of teaching is repetition, and so we're, we're doing that. From the Amplified Version, Galatians 5, 16, in 17. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit. One more time. But I say, walk and live habitually. It, this is a translation, amplified translation. But I say, walk and live habitually in the Holy Spirit, responsive to and controlled and guided by the Spirit then you will certainly not gratify the cravings and desires of the flesh of human nature without God. For the desires of the flesh are opposed to the Holy Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are opposed to the flesh, godless human nature. For these are antagonistic to each other, continually withstanding and in conflict with each other, so that you are not free, but are perverted, are prevented, excuse me, you are, but are, you're not free, but are prevented from doing what you desire to do. Dead in the water spiritually. What a terrible place to be in. What a terrible place to be in. And how, and of course the amplified version, and if you're not aware of this, I'll tell you this, but if you are, repeat it. Uh, The amplified version, he takes the, or the translators took the Greek words and tried to give the full flavor of the meeting. Meaning, and to let you know that they were not, these words were not in the original, but it's only an expanded uh, attempt to expand the uh, translation and the meaning so that we can fully grasp what the verse says. They put those expanded parts in brackets so that we will know that they are um, explanations. So if we go to Weiss' expanded translation, you'll see how it says the same thing, but just a little bit differently. But I say, through the instrumentality of the spirit, habitually order your manner of life. And you will in no wise execute the passionate desire of the evil nature. For the evil nature constantly has a strong desire to suppress the spirit. And the spirit constantly has a strong desire to suppress the evil nature. And these are entrenched in an attitude of mutual opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you desire to do. Wow. Wow. And then finally, the, uh, the Living Bible paraphrase, which is not a translation. But again, it's a different flavor that will give you just a, a, another way to look at these verses. I advise you to obey only the Holy Spirit's instructions. He will tell you where to go and what to do. And then you won't always be doing the wrong things your evil nature wants you to do. For we naturally love to do evil things that are just the opposite from the things the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And the good things we want to do when the Spirit has His way with us are just the opposite of our natural desires. These two verses within us are constantly fighting each other to win control over us, and our wishes are never free from their pressures. Our will is never free from those pressures. That's not totally true. If you will finally, and you and I, by the grace of God, finally decide the Holy Ghost wins, God wins. This releases Him. To empower us to do. What we cannot do on our own. Now Paul said I die daily. That means. I could do that yesterday morning. And live all day like that. But if I don't make that choice this morning. I may struggle today. And I can get disillusioned. But I was doing so good. Why am I struggling today? Because I did not start my day with surrender. If I want to have victory today, I've got to start my day by the grace of God, giving God control of my life. Otherwise, it's a problem. I have dealt with so many people over the years who did things they were really good at. It was their expertise. And nothing went right. No matter what they tried, nothing went right. And they couldn't understand it. They were so frustrated. But I know how to do this. I'm good at this. Yeah? That is the grace of God teaching you that it doesn't matter how good you are at something. He controls circumstances and you don't. So why wouldn't I give up my will and give up control to God? He is in control, just not of me. And only for this period of time called life, temporal life. So again, We're talking about all these principles. But where do we go back to? We go back to what I see. Because if I'm trying to walk in the Spirit, but I'm looking at things that feed my flesh, I'm going to eventually think about what my flesh is seeing, and then my flesh is going to want that, which puts me in the condition of verse 17 and not verse 16. Two different worlds I have a choice to live in. One. Walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Two, I I can live in this world of conflict where my flesh and my spirit are constantly at war. There's no fullness, there's no peace, there's no satisfaction, there's no joy, there's no spiritual pleasure, there's no fulfillment. And what does that do to me? Well, because flesh is instant gratification. I can do things to get instant gratification. And so, whatever it is, whatever it is. In fact, here's the sad thing. If the spirit is dealing with me and the flesh is pulling on me and, and I'm not choosing, I can find a measure of relief and I can actually be deceived into thinking it's peace. Peace just by turning off God's voice and giving myself over to the flesh, the flesh will have won and it will shower me with pleasure for a very short period of time. And that's where, where the battle is because I'm over here trying to do what God wants me to do. And you know, my flesh is in the way and, 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 and I'm trying to live for, be, be what God wants me to be by my will. And I'm trying to define what I'm supposed to be by my opinions, my will, my way. So I'm doing what God wants me to do my way, according to what I like, according to what I want. And all that does is leave me totally vulnerable to this, well, if I'm, if I'm being pulled with these two and I'm giving this to God, but He's not responding positively to this, He's not giving me any peace, He's not giving me any joy with this, and I'm trying, God, what, why are you failing me? And then I come over here and I turn God off for this moment and I give myself to flesh, woo! Instant gratification. Because the abundant life He promised does not come to those that are sitting on the fence, double vision, double-minded, double-spirited. It doesn't come to them. They've never experienced it. They don't even know what they're missing. They don't even know what they're missing. Peace that passes all understanding, joy that is unspeakable, life and life more abundantly. We don't ever get there. So many never get there. Because they, they don't ever make a choice. They don't ever make a choice. <sighs> Let me go on. These two verses are full of spiritual insight and answers to our most basic questions. They explain why we, still, why we still struggle to do what pleases the Lord even though we are filled with the Holy Ghost. They also give us the foolproof answer for how to live an overcoming life. I've just been talking about that. But I'm, so, dear one, I beg of you to prayerfully and carefully consider these two verses and their accompanying translations. Understanding both the problem and God's solution is critical for receiving and believing the remainder of this study and for properly, effectively, and scripturally applying the principles that are stressed in this study to your daily life so that you can live victoriously. Here we are. This is the biblical principles governing the eyes. Well, who said, I want my eyes governed? I want to be able to look at what I want to look at when I want to look at it. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm Christian. I go to church. I even pray. Now, nothing happens when I pray. And, uh, I, you know, sometimes in church I feel a little something. But it's something somebody else prayed down. It's something somebody else uh, God is responding to them, and since he's in the midst of us, if I'm there and somebody else prayed it down, I get to feel a little bit of that. But the problem with that is if somebody else dedicated, somebody else consecrated, and I, somebody else has surrendered to God, and and he's in the midst of the group, that those people are in the midst of the group, and God is responding into the midst, manifesting himself in that group because of those that are there. And then I feel some of that when I had nothing to do with it being there, that very blessing of God becomes deceptive because there you go. I don't have to do all this stuff and I could come to church and feel all of this and everybody else is feeling. I'm feeling the same thing they are. Well, it technically is not the same thing, but you're feeling something. You're feeling something that won't go with you when you leave. When you leave the midst, when two or three gather together, uh, there I will be in my name. There I'll be in the midst when 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 we scatter, and there's no midst for him to be in anymore. He doesn't go home with us like, when we're like that. That's why by the time we get off the uh, off the out of the parking lot, we've lost whatever it was we got in church, because all we felt in church was the, the God responding to those who were committed, to those that were surrendered. And then we leave and we wonder why that reality is not with us. We wonder why it's not with us. Well, it's not with us because we're living a dual life. A dual life. Now, God in his love and mercy doesn't approve of but he will tolerate that for a while because he loves us so much. He wants the opportunity to continue to try to affect us, but there comes a point in time where that doesn't doesn't work anymore. And he, when he, when we convince him consciously or subconsciously, we can, we make a decision and convince him, we're never going to give ourselves completely to you. We're never going to do it. He begins to withdraw. And there we are, Satan who manifests himself as an angel of light, he becomes the deceptive feelings we have in church that we think are God and they're not. They're a strong delusion. And we will believe a lie and be damned. Two lives, just in two verses of time, the Apostle Paul through the Holy Ghost presents us with two different lives we can choose to live. Walk in the spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. With all the blessings and the benefits of walking in the spirit. Fullness of joy. Right hand pleasures forevermore. Uh, joy that's unspeakable. Full of glory. And peace that passes all understanding. that Keeps our hearts and minds. And on and on and on. And hearts that don't condemn us. So whatever we ask of him. We receive it because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. All of that is available to us. All of that is available to us. But we have to choose who's going to win. We have to choose who's going to win. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we have reached the place that the rest of this study is not going to be as beneficial to you unless you've made some progress at this point in even asking the Lord to help you to surrender to Him. Maybe you're not surrendered, but you've begun to ask Him to empower you by His grace to help you to surrender. We can come boldly before uh, the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find Grace to help us in time of need. We have a high priest who can be moved, touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Hebrews chapter 4, the end of the chapter, verses 15 and 16. We have a high priest that can be touched, moved by the feelings of our infirmity. And what does that mean? We can come boldly before the throne of grace and we can find mercy for our past choices that were wrong, displeasing to God, and we can, we can obtain grace to help us in time of need. And we have a need. And the need is, without him, we can do nothing. That's why, if I want to overcome my flesh, if I want to overcome the, the lust of my flesh, I have to walk in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, governed by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. I have to give myself without reservation to the Spirit of God. Now, you may not be there right now, but that doesn't mean you can't get there. It is a process. It's not an event. It's a process. It's not an event. It's a daily process to get to that place By giving yourself to God daily. And every day he will help you to give a little more of yourself to him. And then there will be a day where you'll make some significant jumps in that. Until finally there will be a day you will know I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh I live by the faith of the son of God. Who loved me and gave himself for me. You can get there but it is a process. I pray in Jesus' name that the Word of God and the Spirit of God is talking to your heart, mind, soul, spirit, and that you are hearing what what the Spirit is saying to the church today, and that you are desiring, so desiring to have a relationship with God and to share that relationship with others and to eventually go to heaven that you've already begun to pray and seek his face, God, help me, give me victory. I pray these things for you and bless you with them. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.